Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Today we are going to take a look, continuing on in our series of being more like Jesus and understanding what the Lord was like, just to see how Jesus interacted, how Jesus made decisions, and how he lived his time here on earth. And today we're taking a look at verse number 34. There's that uh, phrase there. Uh, If you look at verse number 34, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion. That's the phrase that we're going to take a look at. Moved with compassion. Because we're going to see the difference that compassion makes. Because two people can see the same thing and react very differently. Two people can experience the same event, but based on their perspective, feel or react very differently. It's very common when you see this uh, happening in in, uh, sports arenas and you see sports fans and you see a game that's going very close to the very end. It's like right neck and neck and you're not really sure who's going to win. And somebody gets the ball and shoots the ball at the very last second and it goes in and you can see this big divide of reactions. On the one hand, you have half of the people standing up and cheering and rejoicing and yelling and high-fiving and hugging. And on the other side, you you see people just kind of sink down, their heads and their hands go down. And you can see this big divide. Both of them watched exactly the same thing, but two people reacted very differently based on their perspective. For one, their team was winning, or their team won. For the other, their team lost. And many times in Christian living, many different Christians will see the same thing, but think very differently about it and react very differently about it. And our goal as Christians, taking a look at the Bible, gathering together as a church, is to think, all right, how did Jesus approach this matter? What, what, what does Jesus think about what we're looking at? What does Jesus think about what we're observing? What, what, what is Jesus' perspective on the matter? And so often you see that the difference between us and the Lord is often compassion. You'll see that compassion is a a big part of how Jesus lived. You'll see that word or that phrase used in a number of different places. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 34. So Jesus had compassion on them. And because he had compassion, he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. So Jesus here had compassion on these individuals that were blind and needed sight, and he had compassion, therefore he did something for them. Mark chapter 1, verse number 40 says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He says, If you want to, I know that you can make me clean. He says, I know that you can, but will you do it? Do you have compassion enough to do it? And verse number 41 says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Of course, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, if not the most famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. So we see the difference that compassion makes, and it's that phrase that is used in Mark chapter 6 and in a few other places. The phrase is not just that he had compassion. The phrase is that he was moved with compassion. The phrase is basically communicating to us, because Jesus had compassion, it moved him to action. It moved him to do something about it. It moved him to get involved in some way. And the Bible makes it very clear the importance of love, of compassion. In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's called charity. In verse number 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In verse number 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So often in, in life, and you think about parents, and you think about, you know, businesses and organizations, so oftentimes we, we focus so much on intellect and how smart a person is and how smart they could be and the grades that they're getting. And we think about all of these natural leadership characteristics, and, you know, they're just charismatic, and people love them and, you know, gather around them and do all sorts of things. And, and there's so much of an emphasis that is there. But if God here makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 13 that the greatest of all things is love, that ought to be our emphasis as well. We have to think about love. We have to focus in on how can we grow in love, our theme verse even for this year, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You see over and over and over again this emphasis on love. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the next chapter, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. It's very clear the love of God moves us to action. That verse that we just read, the love of God moves us to obey God. So we see that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. So, of course, the first question is, are we compassionate? Do we have love? And if we do have love, it will move us to action. So are we moved with compassion? So this morning, I want to see how Jesus was moved with compassion towards these three different actions. Jesus was moved with compassion to do these three things. So first, we see that compassion moved Jesus to endure. 
he moved, uh, compassion moved Jesus to endure. So the context of the passage that we read in the book of Mark is that Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples. So of course we know about the 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, Levi, Judah, you know, we know about the 12 disciples. He sent them out in pairs. So he has six pairings of disciples. He sent them out. They were filled with power. They preached the gospel. They healed and, and did miracles. Uh, demons were cast out. They did a number of different things. You might consider this kind of a, you know, short-term missions trip. Jesus sent them out and said, all right, this is what I want you to do. You go out there and you come back. So they go out and they come back after doing what Jesus had called for them to do. So they went out into the surrounding area, went to the towns and villages, they preached, they healed, they did these different things. And when we read at the very beginning, verse number 30, that's the context when it says, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So when the Bible there says that they came to Jesus and said, this is everything that happened. That's what's going on. They had been sent out. And they were preaching. They were healing. They were doing different things. And they came back and they're telling Jesus about all of these different things. Verse number 31. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Okay. I've been on a few missions trips and I completely understand the idea at the end of a missions trip come you apart a while and rest a little bit because when we went on missions trips, wow, we were there and we're waking up and we're going out, we're walking, we're handing out invitations. I've been on missions trips where we're supposed to stucco a, a wall on the outside. I've never done that before. And so I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, and doing all these sorts of different things. And, and I imagine exactly what these disciples are thinking, which is, oh, we've been out for a while. We come back. It's been really exciting. And that was really great. I'm really pumped up, but oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. And Jesus said, yeah, you're tired. You need to get out, uh, get apart and rest a while. <clears throat> the Bible there says in verse number uh, 31, for there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They, so these disciples come back, but you have to remember Jesus is still there. People are still gathering around Jesus. And when they come back, there's a bunch of people there waiting to have something from Jesus or the disciples. And they're so busy that they don't even have time to eat. They don't even have time to have lunch. So Jesus says, let's, let's get away for a little while. So in verse number 32, it says, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So they're going to get into a ship, just them. They try to sneak off, get into a ship, and they're gonna go to the other side of the sea and, and, and be in a desert place. They're not going to a city. They're going to go to some remote part on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse number 33 says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. So the, what's happening here is Jesus has the disciples come back, there are tons of people. They're so busy. They don't have time to do anything, not even to eat. And so Jesus says, why don't we get apart for a little while and let's rest? So they sneak off into the ship and they, they, they launch off. And as they launch off, people are like, hey, isn't that Jesus? Hey, isn't that Jesus over there? Isn't that the, doesn't that look like Peter's ship? I don't know if it was Peter's ship, but doesn't that look like Peter's ship? And everybody's like, yeah, I think that's Jesus. They're leaving. You know what they did? 
they started running around the Sea of Galilee in order to get to where Jesus was going. So that when the Bible says, and they ran a, a, a foot thither out of all cities and out went them, it means that they ran around the Sea of Galilee faster than Jesus could sail across the Sea of Galilee. So by the time that Jesus had landed on the other shore, there are people there. Not only that, it's the same people that he saw on the other side. He said, we need to get away from these people. We got to get a break. And they go to the other side, and it's those same people like, oh, it's you guys. I remember you. I was trying to get away from you. And here you are over here. So that's what's happening when we see in Mark chapter number six, Jesus and the disciples are so busy. We need a break. And they get over to the other side. And it's like, oh, it's the same, same thing. Sometimes it feels like that. Oh, I just need a break from this. And you go over and try to do something else and you're just as busy. And they, they get over there. So Jesus has now landed on the other side with the disciples. Jesus is weary. The disciples are weary. They've tried to escape from these people who have needs. And they've raced around to the other side. They land in a desert place, not in a city. And behold, here they are. What is Jesus' response there? Verse number 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. We see that Jesus was moved with compassion to endure because Jesus needed rest. We know that he was God, but he was in the flesh. He needed physical rest rest just like all of us needed rest and the disciples also needed rest they needed rest that's why they were trying to get away they got away and behold it's still there and jesus the bible says was moved with compassion to stay with them because he could have easily just said oh uh, hey, we're actually going over there and got back in the ship and went over to the other side. But instead, he got out and he stayed because compassion moves us to stay. Because people stay for things that they care about. People just do. That's very natural. Whenever I go back up to the Seattle area, I get a chance to see some old friends. This last time, last summer, when I went out up to Seattle, I met up with one of my friends who was... He was in uh, my bridal party. He was one of my groomsmen. And uh, we have been going to the same church for a long time. He had graduated college and was married by the time that he came to our church. But we became good friends. He sings a lot in the church and different things like that. And I, I played the piano for him whenever I was there and stuff like that. And we had a lot of fun and, and spent a lot of time together. And so when we uh, went up there, me and my family, we went over to their home for dinner. And so he and his wife and their two daughters, their two daughters are in college now. And so they, they were just little kids when, when I first met them and growing up, getting to know them. And now they're in college. And so we went over there. We went over there for dinner and we were there, I don't know, maybe six o'clock or so, something like that. And uh, so we had dinner and we were talking. We we're just talking about different things, the good old days and, you know, back when we were here. And, you know, we had gone through all of these different events and ministry together. And uh, I've given the illustration about how, you know, I was supposed to paint the, the curb red, you know, because you have that fire lane. I was supposed to paint it red and then I was supposed to stencil on it, you know, you know, fire lane, no parking or something like that. And then the very next week, the construction crew came in and ripped the whole thing out 
because they were doing construction there. And I was like, oh, no. Well, his wife was one of the ones that was helping me through this. And so we were talking and laughing about all of these things. And I remember it was starting to get a little bit late. And, uh, and I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little tired, you know, because, you know, I was on vacation. But, you know, you're meeting people and doing all sorts of different things like that. I remember having that feeling of, oh, man, I'm starting to get a little bit tired. But I was also thinking, but I also don't want to leave. I was getting a little bit tired, but I also didn't want to leave because I love these people. You know, I loved him. I loved his wife. I loved their kids. I loved that family. I wanted to spend more time with it. It's very natural when you love someone or love something that it makes you want to stay. It makes you want to stay a little bit longer. You know, sports fans, when you have a game, and it goes into overtime. Nobody's like, ah, oh, overtime. I didn't schedule this into my day. I'm turning it off, you know? When it goes into overtime, they're like, oh, this is when it gets good. All right, this is when everything's on the line. And, and uh, you know, we, we understand that it, it's for those things that we love that we are willing to endure. Remember when the iPhone first came out? Remember those first couple of years? People were waiting in line at the store, like not just waiting in line before it opened up, like they were waiting like days ahead of time, like four or five days ahead of time. They would get a tent. They would set up tent outside of these Apple stores. Do you remember this? Like New York City everywhere, all over the place. They were setting up these tents. And, you know, you would see it in the news, and the newscaster would come by and interview, like, all right, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? How long have you been here? You know, I've been here for 40, and they're proud of it. They were proud of it. I've been here for four days. You wasted four days of your life in front of an Apple store, and you couldn't leave because if you left, somebody would take your spot. Four days. They were proud of this. They loved whatever it was, being the first one in line. They loved having the newest thing or whatever it was that they, they loved. They loved it so much that they were willing to stay for that thing. Which just goes to show us that compassion moves us to endure. When we love something, it moves us to stay a little bit longer. It moves us to endure through it. It moves us to be like, you know what? I'm a little bit tired, but I also don't want to leave. I'm a little bit weary right now, but I, I, I really don't want to quit on this right now. Uh, compassion moves us to stay and to endure. And we need to be encouraged to stay and to endure because we get tired. Even in well-doing, we get tired. That's what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Even in the good things that we do, even in the things that are godly, that we enjoy, we can get tired. Just like when I was you know, hanging out with my friend and having dinner and being together, I was starting to get a little bit tired. Even when you're having a good time, you can get tired. Even when we're doing godly things, we can uh, get tired. But that's why we need to endure. The Bible describes the Christian life like a race, like we're running. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All right? If you've ever run before for any distance longer than 100 feet, you know what it means to be tired from running, all right? 
You know that feeling of, okay, I had a goal of a mile, or I had a goal of two miles, or you know, I had a goal of running for 20 minutes, and you know that feeling of, I know what I should be doing, but I also know I really feel like quitting. I really don't want to go any longer. I know that I want to do it, and I'm determined to do it, but my, I really feel like not doing it anymore. And the Bible describes to us and, and, and encourages us to know that, that God understands that meaning of running that race. Because in verse number two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So what the Bible is saying is you need to run with patience, run with endurance. That's what that word means. Run with endurance the race that is set before you because all of us have a race. We all have this race, this calling, some people might call it that, or your place in the Lord's will of what God wants you to do. That's your race. That's your place that God wants you to be in. Okay. That's your race. And when you run your race, you might get tired. You will get tired. You're going to get tired. And in verse number two, God is saying, I know what it's like to be tired. I ran that race here on earth too. I ran that race and went to the cross. I went through the cross. I endured the cross and I, disp I endured through the shame and all of that and finished his race. And he ascended up and is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And God is telling us, Look to Jesus. Jesus endured, so let us endure as well. So we see that compassion, first of all, moved Jesus to endure. You're going to get tired in the Christian race. You're going to get tired doing the right thing, but keep on keeping on. Keep on running. Compassion moves us to endure. Compassion also moved Jesus to evangelize. So we saw that Jesus stayed. We saw that he was trying to get away, get some rest. He went over to the other side and he saw, oh, same people. What did Jesus do while he was there? Verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. So Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd are in trouble. Sheep without shepherd are in trouble. Sheep without a shepherd get lost. Sheep without a shepherd become scattered and isolated. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable. They lack direction, they lack unity, and they lack protection. And Jesus saw the people as sheep. They're, they don't know where they're going. They're going all over the place. Every man is doing that, which is right in their own eyes. They're just trying to figure it out for themselves. And they're in great danger, great spiritual danger, especially. So what does Jesus do? The verse number 34 at the very end, it says, and he began to teach them many things. So what Jesus began to do was he began to teach them. Luke chapter nine, verse number 11 gives us a parallel account. And it says there that, and the people, when they knew and followed him and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God. And he healed them that had need of healing. So Jesus is teaching them not about necessarily about how you could better handle your financial situation or how you could get a job or all of these different practical things. What he's teaching them is the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about spiritual things. He's 
trying to lead them as lost sheep to the shepherd. That's what he's trying to do. And what we as a church are trying to do and need to do is to lead lost sheep to the shepherd. We're trying to lead the lost to be saved. So we are to teach the gospel. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We are to teach the gospel. We are to train disciples, verse number 20, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus, when he saw the crowd, he began to teach them. Jesus, when he left, his last command to us, the Great Commission was, teach them, all right, teach them how to be saved, and then train them as disciples. And then also what we can do in terms of compassion moving us to evangelize, to reach this lost world with the gospel. Okay, so first of all, we should go soul winning. We should have this idea of we're going to try to reach people with the gospel, intentionally thinking about, all right, who is somebody who is lost that needs to be saved, and I can share with them the gospel so that they will know that they are on their way to heaven. So that's one thing that we can do. Moving, uh, being moved with compassion moves us to share the gospel. Being moved with compassion also gets us involved in discipleship. Even if I'm leading people to the Lord, I'm nowhere as effective if two of us are leading people to the Lord. So the second step is I want to be involved in discipleship. If you haven't been discipled and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I, I need to grow in this area. I need to learn a little bit more. I don't feel like I'm where I need to be. Maybe you want to enter into some relationship like that. You can come and talk to me after the service and, and we can get you connected with another uh, faithful individual here in the church that you could just go to and ask questions. You might just come to me and ask questions to me and, and we could go out together. We could go soul winning together. We could uh, get together and study the Bible together. We could do all these sorts of things. So these are two things that Jesus told us to do in part of the Great Commission. But there's another part in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. We are to pray for laborers. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he, or th then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So what Jesus in this passage does is he looks out he sees the multitude, he is moved with compassion on them, and what he does is he turns to his disciples, being moved with compassion, and tells them, pray that God will send more laborers. So compassion moves us to action to connect the lost with the Savior. All right, so how can we do that? One, we can personally go out and evangelize. Every single one of us knows somebody who is lost that needs to be saved. Could be a neighbor, could be a coworker. Maybe you've been witnessing to them for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. I know. I was in my church for 20 years before I got saved. I got saved when I was 20. I heard the gospel so many times. And sometimes it's just that one more time enduring and preaching the gospel again and sharing with them and praying for them that they will finally be saved. So we need to personally go out and share the gospel. We can get involved in discipleship, helping somebody else to grow 
so that they will also share the gospel with others. The last thing that we can do is we can all pray for more laborers. So here we see that Jesus, he is moved with compassion to endure, to stay a little longer, even when he was tired. Compassion moved Jesus to evangelize, to share the gospel so that they might be moved from darkness to light. The third action that moves Jesus to action with, with compassion is compassion moved Jesus to engage. It moved him to engage. So this last part here is in verse number 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place, and now the time is far past. So they have crossed the sea to the other side. They're in a desert place. They're not in a city. It's just a wilderness area. And they're ministering and helping, and Jesus is teaching, doing all of these things. Now you can see the sun is starting to set. Now it's getting late in the day. And the disciples notice this, and it's like it's getting a little bit darker. They go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere, and it's getting kind of late. So in verse number 36, they say, here's our idea. Send them away that they may go out or go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Okay, now, to be honest, I think that's a perfectly reasonable solution, don't you? Isn't that a perfectly reasonable solution? You're out there ministering, you needed to get rest, you went over there, they followed you, so they're like, okay, I guess we're going to continue doing ministry a little bit longer. It's getting a little bit late, these people must be hungry. Why don't we tell them, hey, it's getting late, you guys need to go eat. Why don't you go eat? Go find a city close by. There's a town over there. There's a town over there. Whatever. Go find something to eat. Sounds totally reasonable to me. Okay? Sounds totally reasonable. Jesus, though, had a different idea. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. The disciples' idea was, You guys take care of yourselves. Jesus said, why don't you take care of them? And the disciples said, we can't, <laughs> right? We can't. And they said unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Uh, we, even if we wanted to, which we don't, <laughs> we can't. What are we supposed to do? Buy everybody a tiny little piece of bread? We have a big loaf. And I was like, oh, is that mine? No, you're going to share this one single loaf with a hundred other people, okay? All right, we're going to divide it into a hundred little pieces. Here you go. Here's your little, here's your dinner. <laughs> it fits in your palm of your hand. This is my dinner? Okay. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right, Jesus, we need more, you know? So that's there. So that's what the disciples are thinking. What in the world are we supposed to do? How in the world are we supposed to uh, handle this situation? Because Jesus... We don't have enough money to feed all of them. But what you see consistently from the Lord is that compassion moves people to get personally involved, to personally engage with whatever is, might be there. Luke chapter number 10, Jesus is giving a parable. In verse number 25, it says... And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, Jesus answers the lawyer, 
what is written in the law? How readest thou? So a lawyer is somebody who reads the law, somebody who studies the law, somebody who understands the law. So a lawyer comes to Jesus and asks a question, and Jesus responds, well, you're a lawyer, you know the law. What does the law say? How do you read the law? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Which is actually a great answer. Right? Deuteronomy gives these verses. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Jesus answers in verse number 28, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. Jesus said, you got it. You know what the law says? Love God and love people. Jesus reiterates. When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two laws hang all of the law and the prophets. So every command in the Old Testament is based on the premise or the more fundamental law of loving God and loving others. He said, you got it. That's, that is what the law says. Here's the lawyer's answer. See, lawyers always know the loopholes. And this lawyer found a loophole, or he thought he had. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Isn't that what lawyers do? Right? What, 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 but what do you mean by neighbor? What, what, what does that mean? I mean neighbor. But you, what, what, what is the definition of that word neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And Jesus said, all right, you want to know who your neighbor is? I'll tell you. And he begins to tell this uh, parable, this story. And Jesus answered, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and was stripped him, and, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So you have these two religious, noble people, a priest and a Levite. They walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. They're on this pathway. They see this individual and they pass by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And he on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him, that fell among the thieves. So you have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And we know about the Samaritans. They didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. We know that. So much so that sometimes the Jews would not even go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. They didn't want to even corrupt themselves with the dust of Samaria. They didn't want to even enter into their town. So here is a Jewish man from Jerusalem to Jericho on the pathway. A priest and a Levite see him. And they don't bother to get involved. They don't bother to help. They don't bother to engage. But here is a Samaritan, and it cost him time. He would have had to go out of his way, pick him up, 
take him over to the inn and would have had to help him, would have spent, it cost him some time, cost him some money as we see. He says, all right, I got to go. I don't have time to stay, but here, I'm going to give you a little bit, take care of whatever is necessary, and then I will be back. And if you ever need anything more, I will pay it at that time. And cost him some energy, cost him all of these different things. And Jesus gives this parable and says, all right, which one of you thinks was the neighbor to the person that they saw? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. So you see that Jesus giving this parable as well makes it very clear that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that love moves us to get involved. It moves us to get engaged. For us as believers, that's why involvement and engagement matters. When you come to church, it matters whether you get involved and engaged or not. It matters whether you get involved in ministry or not, because compassion moves people to get involved. It moves them to do something. I got to do something. I have to help somehow. I want to do something. And that compassion of the Lord, he saw these people and he said, here, here's these people. Why don't you help them? And the disciples said, we can't. We can't help them. That's what they said in verse number 37. Verse number 38, he saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And we had taken the five loaves and the two fishes. He looked up to heaven and blessed and break the, uh, break the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them and two flashes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. So here is Jesus saying, why don't you help them? And they said, we cannot. And he said, all right. I'm going to help them, but I'm going to help them through you. I'm going to provide the miracle you give to the people. I'm going to give to you in order that you might give to them. And that's how this works. Because when we look out, we might look at it and say, wow, look, look at this. Uh, how am I supposed to help in this, in, in this area, in this ministry, in this field, with these people? Jesus says, you're not going to. I'm going to do it but I'm going to do it through you. Jesus, as we saw in this passage, was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to endure. Even when he was tired, he couldn't leave. He wanted to stay. He had to stay. So he endured a little bit. And he began to teach them. He began to give them the gospel. He began to see their spiritual state, that they were lost in need of a savior, that they needed to be saved, that they needed to have their eternity to be changed. And he calls us to go out and to win souls. He calls us to train other disciples. He calls us to pray to him, to ask for more laborers. And we also see that Jesus was moved with compassion to engage, to get involved. Can I encourage you? Don't just sit there in your seat. Get involved in some way. Get involved in a ministry. Get involved in soul winning. Get involved in your class. Don't just sit there. 
Get involved, get engaged, ask questions, ask how you can help, ask how you can be involved in some ministry to help some of the families, some of the kids, to get involved with soul winning. I want to be able to reach somebody with the gospel. What can I do? Well, here, let me give you some Easter invitations. I gave you one in your bulletin. There's a stack of them on the back table. Grab some of those and give them out to your neighbors. When you go to a restaurant, leave it with, uh, with the waitress or the waiter or whoever's working there and pass them out and, and talk to your friends and say, hey, why don't you come over and, and we'll have a, you know, we're going to have Easter service and I really want you to be there. You need to be there because you know that they're lost and, and we need to get involved and we need to get engaged because compassion moves us to get involved. 